I want to take a moment to uh, talk about baptism for just a minute because we have a baptism class coming up in two weeks. And then uh, a few weeks after that, we're going to be doing uh, baptism. And, uh, and I just want to share a little bit about my own story because I know we all have kind of different journeys with this. And, and if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you have not yet kind of followed him in that step of obedience and getting baptized, I want to strongly encourage you to take that step. And, 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 and I say that as somebody who put it off for years and years in my own life. I, I came to faith in Jesus when I was 13 years old. And I knew right after that that the next sort of step in my faith of obedience in Jesus was to get baptized, to sort of like go public with my faith. I knew that. I was told that. But I got this idea in my head that I wanted to be baptized just like Jesus. And so I'm going to save up my money, and when I turn 18, I'm going to fly over to Israel. I'm going to get baptized in the Jordan River. And it was like, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And so every time it was like, hey, we're doing a baptism in my church. It was like, nope, I'm waiting to do it in Jordan. You know, nope, nope, nope. And, and, and I continued to do that for years and years. And, and then finally, like, I'm in college. I, I'm going to Bible college to be a pastor. And, and I'm like, a, I'm leading students in a church. And I still haven't been baptized. Now, at some point along the way, I realized I'm not actually going to be flying over and getting baptized. And by that point, I didn't do it because I was embarrassed. Because I, like everybody in my church knew that I was like this, like I'd been following Jesus for a long time, like I'm going to Bible college to become, and I hadn't done it. And nobody, and like everybody sort of forgotten that or nobody knew that. And so I was embarrassed. But by that point, it was like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed that I didn't do this, and now I'm not going to do this. And so one day, or one time, I was at camp, and I was leading students at a camp, and, and um, we were going to do baptisms in the, in the lake. And I had some students who had recently given their hearts to Jesus, and I counseled them what you're supposed to counsel them, and that is, hey, you should take that step of baptism. And as I was doing that, the Spirit of God went, <clears throat> Jim, and I had to humble myself and go out and get baptized with my students because I just put it off forever. I finally just went, all right, I, just need, I need to choose obedience over you know, embarrassment or over shame or over whatever it was. And in fact, I think we got a picture of, of that day when I finally, finally did it. Um, and, uh, and so I say all of that to say this, that there might be some of you who have made a decision to follow Jesus and, and for whatever reason, and I don't know what your reason is, Maybe, maybe you wanted to go get baptized in the Jordan River. I don't know. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a concern of being up in front of people. Maybe, maybe, I don't know what your reasoning is, but maybe you've put it off over and over and over. And I just want to say to you, whatever that reason is, um, Jesus invites you to just be, be obedient to what he asks you to do. He says, believe and be baptized. And, and so I want to challenge you that if you haven't yet taken that step for whatever reason, that you would this time decide, I'm going to do that. I'm going to step out and do that. And in two weeks, I want to encourage you to go to that class. And then a few weeks later to get baptized. We would love to do that and celebrate with you. And listen, nobody's going to be thinking, well, how long have they been following? Well, shouldn't you have done that a long time? No, we just celebrate. Anytime somebody says yes to Jesus, even if that yes is not the yes of salvation, it's the yes of obedience to say, I am his. And so, in fact, I want to stop and I just want to pray over you right now. Lord Jesus, I want to pray if there's anybody in this room 
uh, like me, who, who waited, who put, sort of put that off, who've, who's made that decision to follow you, but for whatever reason has not yet taken that step of faith, I just want to pray, Jesus, that you'd bless them, that you'd bless them with faith to believe what you've said. I pray that you bless them with courage to step out. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless them with the spirit, not of have to, but of want to in being baptized. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, somebody somewhere, at some point along the line, came up with this brilliant idea of gathering together a bunch of awkward family photos and turning it into a business. Right? Have you guys seen this? Have you seen online? I mean, I've seen it in cards. I've seen... Uh, I've seen um, I've seen it in commercials. I've seen it online. All of these pictures, kind of like this one right here. Yeah. That, that, I think that was like voted one of, the, one of the most awkward family photos ever, right? And it's like, so, so somebody took these and put them on shirts and cups and like turned the whole business into awkward family photos. And I was thinking about that this week because I was going, this weekend I'm talking about family. And so I came up with the semi-brilliant idea of compiling my own grouping of old and awkward family photos from our staff and our leadership team. And, and so I, I want to share a few of those with you, and um, maybe some of these people don't even know because it came through their spouses. But anyways, <laughs> go ahead. Let's put one up there. All right, you know who that is? Diona. Right back there. Look at that. That is awesome. That's her family. Okay, let's go, let's go on. Ooh. There's Heather and... Uh, Somebody pinched grandma just before the picture or something. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I think they're pretending to be unicorns in this family photo. Go ahead. You know who, who this is? This is Joel Smith and his brothers. He's one of our, one of our elders in the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Ah, uh, there's a nice family photo. You see that right down at the bottom? Uh, that's Bree right there. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wow, that's nice. I like this right here. Anybody know who that is? Hmm. Debbie Gilmore, one of our board members. Yeah, that's nice. I like the shirts. One more. One, uh, keep, keep going. The Worthens. Uh, yeah. Richard and Shirley right there on the left. I can't believe. I don't think he knows we have this picture that he dressed like that. That is so awesome. That is awkward for sure. Um, uh, next one. Okay, okay. This would be um, Pastor Tim right here, and uh, and he thought this was a catalog shoot, and um, and he is selling that sweater. That is nice. That is nice. Okay, one more. My 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 own family right here. Yeah, yeah. That would be the awkward me in the middle there. Yeah. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Yes, that would be me. So, okay, anyways. That was just for fun. You know, I was thinking, oh, man, we're talking about family. Let's have some awkward family moments here. But here's the thing. You, 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 look, at, you look at pictures like that, and you realize that a picture only captures one moment in time, right? It doesn't tell the whole picture of what's going on in the family. It's just one moment, one picture, and one third thing that I have certainly learned about family is that 
it can be messy, right? Have you, anyone, okay, don't raise your hand because um, um, it, it can be messy. Even, even the most photogenic, perfect-looking family has flaws and faults, and you just don't see it always in the image, in the picture that you see. And today, we're going to finally, finally finish our examination of that first church in Acts chapter 2 and looking at what, it's look, at what it looks like. And, and although this description of the church that we've sort of camped out on for several weeks now uh, might at first glance seem, it, it's just idyllic and like it's perfect, like this is the perfect church, what we realize, especially as we continue through this series in the book of Acts, is that they were messy too. It's just one picture. But the reality is, is that that one picture is one reality, and then there's also the reality that family's messy. And so is the church sometimes. But with all of its imperfection, the church, the family of God, is beautiful. It's beautiful. The church was launched in Acts chapter 2, and as people were added daily, it says, to their number, they had to figure out how to be a family, God's family. So, so I want to read one more time this familiar passage of Scripture, because next week we're on to chapter 3, but I want to read it one more time. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, a description, a picture, if you will, of the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? The Spirit of God was at work in the hearts and lives of those believers as they were learning how to be a family. Regular people, remind you, regular people, broken and flawed people who had come together in this new family expression, trying to figure out how do we live and how do we love like family. What we see here in Acts 2 is a family that got along amazingly well. It's awesome. They were committed to one another. They sacrificially gave to help one another. They ate in each other's homes. They prayed together. God was doing amazing things among them. And every day, it says, new people were added to this family of faith. That's a snapshot of the church. A beautiful and true picture of the church, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Because as we will learn in the coming weeks and months, it began to get more and more messy. 
because people were there. <laughs> people like you and me. And relationships got messy and how they're supposed to interact with one another with all of their differences got messy. And as we, as we seek together to figure out how, how do we be the church, we need to recognize it's going to be a little bit messy too. But the point is this. Everyone, everyone who comes to faith in Jesus is in the family. Okay, You can't opt out. Everyone who comes to faith in Jesus is in the family. Like it or not, we are family. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us figure out how to live and love like family. I don't think we can do it on our own. We need him. Now, the Bible uses um, many different sort of pictures, images, to describe what the church is like. 1 Corinthians uh, compares the church to a body, right? And it's a long passage that talks about how just like our human bodies, the body of Christ is similar and that we need every part. Ephesians 5 gives the picture of the church as a bride, as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 2, Paul equates the church to a building being erected on the foundation, on the cornerstone of Jesus himself. Peter pictures the church as a holy priesthood. And in John 10, Jesus gives the picture of the church as a flock with him as the shepherd, right? And the picture I want to focus on today is the church as a family, a term that's used in the Bible and a term that we use around here all the time. Uh, in fact, you've heard it already this morning. You've heard the term family. We often use that and say, hey, family, how are you doing? It sounds nice to call us family. But it's more than just a cozy image. According to the Bible, we are not just like a family. We are the family of God. So if we are family, then we better figure out how to live like family, right? And so I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. One passage that paints a picture of church as a family is found in Ephesians chapter 2. First, let me just kind of describe the context of what's going on. Paul is writing to the church in a city called Ephesus. And in this passage that we're about to read, he is specifically speaking to Gentile or non-Jewish believers, followers of Jesus, right? Back in that day, there was sort of, you know, two distinct groupings of people, and there were Jewish people, and there were non-Jewish, or Gentiles is the word, and he's referring to, he's talking to that Gentile group of believers in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, open it up, would you? Ephesians 2, verse 13. Here's the context of what's going on. God's word says this, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were Far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new person, 
in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, or thereby, killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. So Paul is addressing the historic problem that existed between Jewish and Gentile people. Twice he uses the word hostility. Did you notice that? To break the hostility, to end the hostility. Because that was their reality. It was a hostile relationship or lack of relationship. There was prejudice and hostility between those ethnically diverse groups of people. They were, um, you could say, the opposite of family. They were divided by their cultural and their ethnic differences. And then Jesus comes along. And, And what does Jesus do but invites anyone and everyone into his family? Anyone and everyone. And they did. Historic enemies came to faith in Jesus who came to bring peace, to produce unity. And as Paul writes, to break down the wall that once divided them, creating, as Paul writes, one new family. Now, we read about that, and at first glance, you might say, well, that's a nice history lesson. You know, it's kind of interesting that back then, there were issues between two groups of people, and it has really no bearing on the church today. It's just a historic thing, but I don't think that's reality. (laughs) As broken and flawed human beings, we still struggle with prejudice and animosity towards people who are not like us, who are not like me. Sometimes that struggle is overt. Most often, I would say, it is more subtle. And it is a reality here, it is a reality there, it is a reality everywhere that there are people coming into relationship with one another. Hostility and division between people with cultural, political, social, ethnic, and economic differences. And it's not just out there somewhere that there are problems. It's right here, even within the church. The church that Paul says Jesus came to die on the cross to bring peace and to bring, make the two one in Christ and to bring us into one family. And I believe that the same truth that Paul spoke to them then applies to us now. Jesus is our peace. And he makes one, he makes us one by breaking down the walls of hostility between us. Giving every believer, he says at the end, access to his spirit to make us one body, one family. In Christ. That's pretty awesome. 
And then he goes on. Let's pick up where we left off. Ephesians 2, starting verse 19. He, he goes on and says this. So then, right? So then, meaning because of what I just said to you about the hostility that once existed, that Jesus came to bring together and make peace. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. He says, so you're no longer strangers. You are in fact members of God's household. No matter how strange or how messy you may be, no matter how strange or how messy they may be, in Christ we are all members of the same household, the same family. And I think that's a powerful picture, a powerful reality. And we can say, hey, family, how are you doing? But it's more than just a term. It's more than just a title. It's a reality. And Jesus came so that we might experience a breaking down of hostility and brokenness and to make us one family. So we better figure out how to do that. Which means that in Christ and through the help of the Spirit, we can live and love like family. We can and we must. Learning to extend grace and kindness and acceptance and encouragement, support, forgiveness, service, and love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that all sounds great. I mean, you get up to this point in the message and it's like, I mean, you can't really like dismiss that. It's like the it's like it's right there. Jesus came to bring this family together to break down the walls. He gave us his spirit to unite us as one. And you go, okay. So why doesn't it look like that? Right? So why is it so hard? And I just want to be the first to say it's hard. It's not easy. Loving like family does not come naturally. But thank God that we have been given his spirit to help us love like we have been loved by him. The early church wrestled with this. And so must we. Family is messy. And the question is, what do we do? when it gets uncomfortably messy, right? What, what do we do? You know, I, I've heard phrases like this, you know, in, in actual, like, like, families, you know, like, like your, your own, you know, historic family, right? That people oftentimes, you know, there'll be, you know, a person who's going sideways or somebody who's like, oh, yeah, uncle so-and-so or whatever. But oftentimes, we'll use a phrase like this. We'll say, yeah, but they're family, right? And, and that phrase means something. It means like, well, yeah, I know, <laughs> you know, but... We're still family. 
And what if that same perspective were to be brought into this family? Yeah, 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 but we're family. You see, I think the modern church has come up with a solution for when things get messy and comfortable, and that is go to another church. That's pretty unfortunate. And the problem is, no matter where you go, it doesn't change the fact that we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. Because location does not change our association. Location does not change our association as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are still family. So wouldn't it be better if we were to just work through our differences, our messiness in the power of the Spirit, to learn how to live and to love like family? If we did, if we did, how impactful would that be on the community, on the world that is watching In fact, doesn't the Bible say something about that? It says something about they will know that you are my followers. They will know that you are Christians by your love. You know what that's talking about? It's not your love for them. It's your love for one another. They will know. And I wonder what the watching world, and they are watching, has seen in recent years of the church. Perhaps it has not been very compelling But how impacting would it be if we lived like family? Ephesians chapter 2 points the church to the cross as our solution to peace in the family. It's a reminder that the sacrifice that Jesus made brings peace with God and peace with one another. You see, here's the thing. We are related not through our blood, but through his blood. We're family. And he wants to bring us together with all of our mess and all of our yuck and make us one family, one household that looks beautiful, maybe a little messy, It looks beautiful because it's covered in grace. It's covered in forgiveness. It's covered in all the things that brought me to Jesus and brings me to you. As we wrestle with this concept of family, I want to look at one more passage of Scripture that is always, I'll, I'll just tell you, always since the first time I read this, when I was probably a teenager, has always sort of mystified me a little bit. It's like, did he actually say that? Because something happened in Jesus' life And he spoke about the priority and the significance of our spiritual family. We find it in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 46. And here's what it says. While he was still speaking to the people, so just picture Jesus. He's gathered with people around him. He's teaching them. He's talking to them. His mother and his brothers, okay, so his actual mother and brothers, stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Do you see what just happened there? 
So Jesus actually had a, a, a biological family, right? He had a family. He had a mom. He had brothers. He had sisters. He had, he had a family. And some of you go, what? I didn't know that. Yes, he really did. And he's in, and, he, and, he, and he's doing what he's called to do. He's, he's teaching these people. And, and, and in the context of this, it appears that his family were concerned and going, we got to get him out of there. Like, you're, you're, it's, you're, you're too controversial. Like, we just got to pull you out. And so they, they're standing outside. They say, they send somebody in and say, tell him mom wants to see him. Okay, tell him his brothers. We're, we're waiting out here. He needs to step out of there and come out here. And Jesus' response is somewhat shocking. He says, Who, who's my mother? Who's my brother's? And he points to these followers of his. He says, here they are. Here's my family. Now, in saying that, he wasn't denying his own family, but he was elevating his spiritual family to equal status. You are my family. Anyone who does the will of my father, you are my brothers and my sisters, he says. My family. I think that's powerful. So, so far what we've done is we've realized that we can't really, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't really say, I, I, like it's me and Jesus, but not me and the family. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in the family. That's how it works. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul gives us instructions as he was speaking to a church who was struggling with their differences and their historic hostility. And he says, the wall of hostility comes down because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He brings peace in our relationship with each other because of what he did on the cross to bring peace with God. Because all of the love that, and the forgiveness that Jesus was pouring out through what he did on the cross, we ought to pour out on one another in the church. But that's hard to do. In fact, it's impossible to do without the empowering of God's Spirit to enable us to see ourselves differently and to see others differently through Jesus' eyes from the cross. How did he see you and me, and how does he see others? Spirit, help us see each other that way and treat each other like Jesus has treated us, like family. You know, God is so good in his kindness because this week, um, he has given me several pictures of what the significance of my spiritual family. In, in fact, he gave me a powerful picture of the contrast between my natural family and my spiritual family by his grace. I didn't plan it. In fact, I, I just sort of looked back on it this week and went, wow, God, you did that. You see, my family of origin has been messy and broken all of my life. I, I can't honestly remember a time when it has not been very messy. And this week, I, I got a text from my brother who said, um, hey, this week, this coming week, uh, I'm moving out of state. And... Um, it was sort of a, 
a quick decision, and he just texted me and said, I'm, I'm leaving in a few days. We sold our home, and we're moving to another state. And I'm thinking, I have no idea if and when I will see my brother again. And so I said, hey, why don't we have coffee? And so on Friday, we sat down and had coffee. And although I have known my brother all of my life, all of my 55 years, we do not know each other very well. There has been much brokenness in our family relationships. And so we sought for a few moments there to connect with one another. So I have that image in my mind from Friday. And, and then in contrast to that, this, this past week happened to be an unusually full week for me with church stuff, with church family stuff. In fact, every single night this week, I've had something, some kind of gathering with this family and different members. On Wednesday evening, I gathered with our discipleship group and a group of people with whom we have grown deeply close with. And we, I heard one couple in our group share their, very vulnerably, share their own stories with us. And there was this sweet moment as we're sitting there and listening going, this is family. And you just, you just, I know you so deeply because you've shared your life with me and we're doing life together. It was just a sweet moment after that. The next night, Thursday, I, I gathered with three of my sisters in Christ and we spoke truth to each other, correction to each other, and it was received with grace and love. And it was, it was so sweet to go, wow. Like we can say hard things to each other. We can be brutally honest about our own lives and open and vulnerable and know that this is safe and loving environment to do that. It was sweet. That was Thursday, Friday night. Um, our, our, some of our our pastors and our wives were going to be sharing uh, at Invest in Marriage coming up next Saturday. And so we got together at our house on Friday night. We had some pizza and we talked a little bit about what we're going to be doing in this you know, thing coming up. And we laughed. I mean, we laughed. I won't share with you the things we laughed about. But we laughed and we hung out and it was sweet, sweet. Family. Family. And then last night, our group was invited to join with a life group and, um, and do a murder mystery dinner. And so we uh, got all dressed up and showed up and did this thing. And, and, and some of the people in that group, other group, uh, I did not know very well at all. And... and my personality, that's the last thing on earth, I'll just be honest, that I want to do. I'd rather be home with my wife alone and watch a movie and not dressed up and acting like I'm, you know, the butler. But you know what? 
it was time together with family. And even people that I don't know very well, we laughed and enjoyed and did life together and discovered that the butler actually did do it. Um, and as I think back about the contrast of this last week, I just go, God, in your mercy and your grace, knowing that I was going to be sharing about family, you allowed me this beautiful contrasting picture of family. I understand in a very personal way how your spiritual family can be your family. Through the good and the bad and the ugly and the messy, Jesus called us to be family. So what's the so what to all of this? Um, I don't have anything super deep on this. I just feel like in order to press into what Jesus says about family, we simply need to embrace Jesus, embrace his family, and embrace the mess. The way you enter the family is by embracing Jesus and coming to faith in him. And the only way that we're going to learn to to love one another is by embracing Jesus and the fact that he embraced me and to embrace others for those same reasons. Not because you've got it all figured out, but because you don't. And then I think that if you are a follower of Jesus, an important step for you is to embrace the family, like it or not, that you're a part of. To embrace your brothers and sisters in Christ. To not run from, to not push away, but to embrace and to go, yes, this is my family. And then finally, to embrace the mess. That's the hardest one. To realize that all those other people are messy. (laughs) And so are you. And so am I. And how beautiful is it when the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus and the grace of Jesus is poured out through us to one another. I want to end this service today by doing something that the historic church has done much of, a responsive reading or a responsive prayer. Stacy and I sat down and put something together that I think is a representation of how Scripture calls us to be family in our response. So I want to invite you to stand up with me. Now we're going to end in prayer together, and it's a prayer that we've written out for you. And so I don't want you to read this, to pray this, if you don't mean this. It's okay. Because I believe that prayer is powerful, and so if you pray this, God's going to hear this and is going to work this in you. But if that is your desire, if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, that means that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus. And we need to grow in that through Jesus. And so I've gone through and looked at scriptures that call us to something in our response. So I'm going to read a scripture and then I want to invite you, if you mean this, to out loud say this prayer that's written up for you. It's in blue on the screen. Are you ready? This is our closing prayer together. Jesus, your word says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up 
just as you are doing. Jesus, your word says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Jesus, your word says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Jesus, your word says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jesus, your word says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And finally, Jesus, your word says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross, for suffering. And I know that, Jesus, we often love to say that you died for me. But the reality is you died for us. And in your death, you brought us into right relationship with you. And in doing so, you gave us access to right relationship with one another through your spirit. And I pray for us as your family right here that the word family would be far more than just a term or a word or a nice sentiment, but rather we would believe it. We would embrace you, Jesus. We would embrace one another in the family and we would even embrace the mess to your glory and honor. Help us be a family that looks more and more like you, Jesus. I pray that over this family, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Family, God bless you. If anyone wants to be prayed for, our prayer team is going to come up right now, and they would love to pray with you. God bless you.